This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Let's pray together, everybody. We thank you, our gracious God, for giving to us your word as rule and guide. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who illumines, strengthens, teaches. And we pray that now as we turn to this portion of your word, that it would be for us food and light, help and strength, comfort and challenge. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at some parables on these Sunday mornings. Uh, These are stories told by Jesus, collected by Luke in the third of the Gospels in the New Testament. Very powerful stories, these stories. They're not little cute bedtime stories for kiddies. These are more like alarms going off. And today there are two parables on the subject of prayer. Now, of course, it's assumed that anybody can pray, and some people think God, of course, is desperate for friends. But there is one prayer that a non-Christian can pray and God will listen to, and that is the prayer to be saved. The Bible says the one who calls on the Lord will be saved. He may, of course, listen to the prayers of those who are not his people and do anything he wants, but he has promised to hear the prayers of his people Uh, because he has given a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who enables us to come to the Father in his name. Now, we need help in our prayers. We're not good at praying. We find it difficult. And Jesus gives us help in Luke chapter 11. I wonder whether you value the privilege of being able to pray if you are a believer. Uh, Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, tells a story of a man who's walking through the fields. He comes across a visiting evangelist who's come to do a mission in the town. And the evangelist says to the man walking through the fields, will you be coming to the meetings? And the man says, no. The evangelist says, do you go to church? And the man says, no. He says to the man, are you um, planning to pray at some stage? And the man says, no. So the evangelist says to him, look, I I will give you a shilling, which I guess was about $50 in those days, if you will promise me that you will never pray. And the man says, well, that's easy. I never pray. I'm not planning to pray. And he takes the money. Over the next few days, he begins to reflect on what he's done. He wonders what he will be doing on his sickbed, unable to pray, that uh, a family member might be in trouble and he's not able to pray or that he comes to his deathbed and he's unable to pray and he becomes very anxious. He becomes quite sleepless. He goes off his food. His wife notices that over the next couple of days he's very, become very tense. And he tells her what he's done and she says to him, you must take back this arrangement. And he goes down to the meeting hall and sneaks in the back and the evangelist is announcing his text, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And he waits until the talk is over and he goes to the evangelist and says, we've got to take back the deal, which the evangelist is happy to do and leads the man in his first prayer to be saved, to priceless gift to be able to pray. Well, what is it that causes you to pray? Is it just a habit? Is it a duty, a ritual? Uh, Do you only pray when you're in trouble, as if God is an ambulance? Or do you pray when you're grateful? Uh, Do you pray with a sense of desperation, I've got to get this over and done with, or a sense of privilege and confidence? Well, in Luke chapter 11, 
It's obvious that when Jesus went to pray and his disciples watched him, they saw him having a great privileged experience of talking to his heavenly father and they felt attracted to the whole idea of prayer. And they said to Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he did. He told them what we call the Lord's Prayer, chapter 11, verses two to four. Maybe he was repeating what he had said at the Sermon on the Mount. And of all the things that we might say about the Lord's Prayer, which is not really our subject this morning, I just want to mention two, and that is that the Lord's Prayer forces us to be God-centered. The first thing we say is, Father in heaven, be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we begin to think about his concerns before our concerns. And I heard a layman preach on this back in 1980, and it completely revolutionized my life. It was like a Copernican revolution. I saw that the universe revolves around God and not me. The second thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it is a framework or a skeleton. Uh, It's only got about 40 words in it, and you could pray the 40 words and that would be fine, but you can also expand and uh, put on it a lot of flesh. And so you could pray something like this, Heavenly Father, please be honored in my life, in the life of my family, in the church, in this particular person's life, in this street in which I live, in this city. Or you could pray, uh, may your kingdom come in this city in which I live, may your kingdom come in this state, in this country, in this wider world. That's the Lord's Prayer. Now, after giving them the model of prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer, he gives them some motivation for prayer in the parables. And he teaches basically three wonderful things about God. First, that he is a God of honor. Second, he's a God of invitation. And thirdly, he is a God of generosity. First of all, he's a God of honor. He is a God who promotes his honor and defends his honor, chapter 11, verses five to eight. We know that um, in the Lord's Prayer, we read or pray, may your name be honored, revered, respected, and we can be absolutely sure that God is keen for his honor. And that's why this story in chapter 11, verses five to eight is about a man defending his honor. And I'm gonna put the parable into very simple language. Uh, Jesus is basically saying something like this. Imagine you have visitors arrive at your place in the middle of the night. You've got nothing to give them. There's nothing in the fridge. You've got no food. You've got no drink. They're very hungry. There are no shops at midnight in the little village where you live. And so you go to a friend to ask for some supplies. And it's embarrassing, of course, to be going so late. What is the friend going to say to you? Well, the first thing he may say to you is, it's too late. We're in bed, don't bother me, I cannot help you. But then, says Jesus, something will kick in. The man in bed will suddenly think about his reputation, his honor, how this will look in the community. And it will be quickly known how heartless he is if he does nothing. And so he gets up and gives what is needed. And that's what Jesus literally says in chapter 11, verse eight. He may not get up because of the friendship but he'll get up because of his honor. The attack on his reputation will motivate him. And if a man says Jesus will defend his honor, how much more will God, who has promised to care for his people, to provide for their needs? And of course, he doesn't go to bed and get tucked up in bed. 
Therefore, as you go to pray, says Jesus, you must say to yourself, I am coming to someone who's not only full of power and love and wisdom, but who has told us that we should come to him for provision and pardon and protection, and he will hear us because he has staked his honor on looking after his people. Of course, the man in the story who's tucked up in bed has got a number of resentments about being woken in the middle of the night and got out of bed, but God has none of these obstacles or resentments. So dear friends, we must learn what Jesus is saying, that even a friend will get up, they may be annoyed to save their reputation, how much more will God help us gladly to honor his reputation? Now, some people, of course, don't like the idea of going to God at all. I was reading the biography of Frank Sinatra, a singer, of course, of the past and a fairly shady character. And he says in the biography, I don't believe in a personal God to whom I look for comfort. I am for anything, says Sinatra, that gets you through the night, tranquilizers or a bottle of Jack Daniels. Now, it all sounds very rugged, doesn't it? But his daughter said after he died, that Frank Sinatra spent all his life looking outside for what was missing inside. But the Christian who goes to God in prayer will find a heavenly father who's committed to help and to care because of his honor and his compassion. Second, he's a God of invitation. Verses nine to 10, Jesus says, therefore ask, seek, knock. What's the obvious thing to say after you hear that God is committed to his people and cares for them? The obvious thing is, therefore, ask, knock, seek, and you will receive, find, the door will be opened. This invitation, my friends, is a great incentive to pray because he gives us permission and a call to pray. And this will diminish the idea which comes into our heads every now and again that we're just talking to ourselves or that our prayer is a little bit of sort of self-help. We're talking to the air that there's nobody really there. No, God has invited us to pray. He says, call to me, cast your cares on me, let your requests be made known, ask, seek and knock. There have been people in the past, great philosophers, I think of a guy called Feuerbach in the 19th century, who said that uh, God didn't make man, but man made God. And man made God because he wants a father. He wants a cosmic father. And there are many popular atheists today who would say the same sort of thing, that Christianity is a bit of a crutch and prayer is wishful thinking. It's a kind of desperation. These people, however, never really face up to the greatness of Jesus who knew what he was talking about. Jesus towers over these philosophers in character and in knowledge and understanding. And he says, ask, seek, knock. Just like a good friend may say to you, you contact me anytime you want. Doesn't matter when it is, doesn't matter what's happening, if I can help you, I will. And that's what God says to us. Now, we must face a much harder question, and that is, when it comes to asking, seeking, and knocking, how come some of us have done a lot of it and there has been no receiving open door coming our way? God, you see, is not a Coke machine into which we put our prayer and immediately out comes the product. 
But this is a very painful thing because you think of the people, for example, who've prayed for a spouse for decades and they have not become believers. Or think of the parents who prayed for children and they've not become believers. People have prayed for sick people, single people, infertile people. There's been prayers for the resolution of a broken relationship and nothing improves or a breakthrough in the mission field and it's still dreadfully difficult or a church and yet nothing seems to be happening. What do we do? This uh, silence apparently from God has really distressed and destroyed some people. And I don't want to minimize the pain. There are many things I have prayed that I've not had a yes from God for. But I'm not going to give up on God and I'm not going to give up on praying because the answer really is bound up in those early verses in the Lord's Prayer that I am praying to the God of heaven. I'm praying to the God of the universe. I am a baby at best when I pray. He's infinitely wiser and greater than me. And just as we cannot explain a needle which a child must endure at a hospital to the child, so there are things that we cannot understand that God cannot or doesn't explain to us, but he still asks us to trust him. And I've often reflected on the fact that there are some prayers which were not answered quickly in the Bible, and if they had been answered quickly, things would have been much worse. You think of Jacob, for example, losing his son Joseph, and if he'd said, God, bring him back immediately. Well, Joseph would never have been sold into Egypt. He would never have become the prime minister. He would never have been given the dreams, helped the Egyptian people to have the food for the next years ahead of them, enabled many nations around to come and survive. God knew what he was doing. Or think of Jesus in the garden, praying that the cup of judgment would be taken away from him. And uh, what does God the Father say? There isn't a way for the cup to be taken away. If the cup had been taken away from Jesus and he had not gone through with the cross and the judgment, well, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no salvation. There would be no church. There would be no future for God's people. God, you see, is infinitely wiser than us. And he does give us our daily bread, forgiveness and protection. And so we must keep trusting him. Third and finally, God is a God of generosity. Chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Jesus finishes with a lovely little parable showing that God is better than we are, infinitely better than we are. He is perfectly generous. Uh, this is the quick parable in verses 11 to 13. Uh, basically, Jesus looks at the crowd and he says something like this. I wonder whether there's a father here and your son is having a birthday coming up. And he says to you, Dad, you know what I'd really like? I'd like a fish. I'd like an egg. Such a simple request. And the father says, Jesus thinks to himself, no, I won't give him a fish or an egg. When he opens the box and unwraps it, there will be a poisonous snake there will be a deadly scorpion. Would any of you, says Jesus, do that? And you can imagine all the fathers in the crowd saying at that particular moment, that's impossible. We would never do that. And then comes the punch, chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says, if you, knowing that you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will God, who is without fault, perfect in character, give good gifts? And when Jesus goes on to describe the gift that God is ready to give, it isn't a fish or an egg, 
Chapter 11, verse 13, it is his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the life of God, that God would give himself to you. And we know that God will do this because he gave his son to the death in order that he might give you a brand new life. So not only is God ready to give his Holy Spirit, but we must, of course, be quick to ask for the Holy Spirit. We must ask God to give us new life, that this Spirit would indwell us. And we must ask God when we're believers that his Spirit would fill our hearts. So here we see, you see, these wonderful teachings of Jesus in the subject of prayer. God guards his honour. He will give what you need. His reputation is at stake. Therefore, be encouraged as you think of him. Second, he's a God of invitation. You're not making this prayer life up. He invites you to pray. He calls on you to ask, seek, and knock. And thirdly, he is a God of generosity. Infinitely better than the greatest father in the world, he is able and willing to provide. I finish by telling you a simple story, a true story, of a missionary lady called Helen Rosevier, who was a doctor in Zaire back in the 60s and the 70s. And there was an occasion where in the hospital a little baby was born premature and it desperately needed to be kept warm. The hot water bottle of the hospital, this primitive little hospital, had burst. And when Helen Rosevier went that afternoon to the orphanage to see the children, as she used to do, she said to the children, let's pray for this little baby. It needs a hot water bottle. And one of the little children, one of the orphan children, prayed a fairly bold prayer saying, God, please bring a hot water bottle and for good measure, a doll for this little baby. And uh, Helen Rosevier, of course, thought this was a fairly bold prayer, but the next day in the mail came a parcel. And in the parcel were the normal things of cards, maybe a book or two, maybe a little bit of um, transferable food. And there in the middle of the parcel was a hot water bottle and underneath it, a little doll. Helen Rosevier says, what is remarkable is that that particular parcel had been sent by the Sunday school of a church back home in England five months before. And God, you see, who is sovereign, gracious and good, full of wisdom, knew exactly the timing of that particular parcel. So as we pray to him, let's remember what we've been reading. We've been taught how to pray, God-centered prayers, but we're also encouraged to pray, motivated, because God is a God who defends his honor. He will not let us fall. He's a God of invitation. He calls us to ask, seek, and knock, and he's a God of generosity, greater than any father in this world. He will give what is needed, especially the Holy Spirit, the very life which comes to us because Jesus died for us. Let's bow our heads. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, as we lift up our voice to you, that you are a God who invites us to pray. And we ask that you would help us to pray with confidence in you, confidence in your honor, thankful for the invitation, trusting your generosity. We look to you and we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.